Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'd also like to welcome you. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. Really glad you are worshiping with us today. And one of the things that I, I, I never really want to do, like I, there's, a, there's a series of stories that I just kind of like to tell on repeat. And sometimes I just kind of like reference one and it's like, ha, ha, ha. And it's like an inside joke. And I never want that to be the case. So I always want to try to put, you know, not just keep telling these stories and not explain kind of what's going on. And anyways, I was telling one of these stories. I was talking to our staff, actually. Uh, this week, and there was this time we were in Colorado, and we were in seminary. This is, you know, you know wow, 19 years ago, I guess, is when we moved to Colorado. And um, I was talking to the staff, and I was like, hey, have I ever, have I ever mentioned this, this car that we had when we were in Colorado? And then they look at me, they just kind of roll their eyes at me, because apparently I've become that guy. It's like, yeah, you've only like told us like 15 times. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah my, my, my bad. And so then I, I proceeded to tell them again. Um, so I had this car, we, had, we, we moved to Colorado to go to seminary, and the car that we drove up there, it blew up, and, which is a great start to you know, your preacher grad school. And then the car that we got to replace it uh, stranded me over the, over the course of time we were there six times, and we only owned the car for about 18 months. It was just, it was just awful. And there was this one time when it was in the shop, because that's just where it lived, and um, they could not replicate the problem, and so apparently they just had it running outside their shop. And we get this call. Uh, we, got some, we got some bad news. I'm so sorry. Uh, somebody, we had the car running and somebody stole the car. And I don't know what, the, I was waiting for the bad news. Right? That's the good news. What's the bad news? I'm like, this is great. It's like the best thing. It's like, we got insurance on this thing. We're going to get more insurance for it than it's worth. And it's like, we're losing money. This is going to be great. And then unfortunately, apparently what had happened is like this Mostly drunk guy kind of wandered off the bus right by the, and the car was right there, and he kind of got in and was just doing like 10 mile an hour laps around the block. So eventually they were just like, hey, stop. And then he just pulled in. They called me back with the good news that I got to keep the car. It was, it was terrible. So we got all these stories, right? And if you've been around here a while, you've heard these, like, these stories are just like legendary, right? Of course, there's a story. The, we, we own a house. I don't know if you, some of you know that. We own a house, right? There's a house that we own uh, in Cabot, Arkansas, where we, before we moved here. We still own that house. We've tried to sell it. It just hasn't worked. Nine years, right? It'll be nine years this August since we moved. It goes back on the market this week, right? So I encourage you, people that pray, you can pray for that. Um, and you know, this is it. It's when, this is when you come up to me. It's like, I, I believe it this time. This is, this is when it's going to sell. Like, yeah, right. And, and we can show you excited about this, right? So, so if you come here long enough, you just kind of, you, you can piece it all together. All these different stories that come together. And I was thinking about this week, like, what are these stories to you? They're, like, they're, they're, just, they're like legends, right? Like, you know, I mean, like you laugh, you know, maybe every third time I tell one of these stories, it has a point, right? It's like maybe there's some point to it, but it's, they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not real stories, right? To me, they're real, right? I, I, I live them, and they're real, and I can, I can still kind of muster up the emotions of a lot of this. And I was thinking about this because we've been talking in this, in this series on the Apostles' Creed. We've been talking about what we believe, and we're talking about certain stories and things in the Bible. And, and I think about that. You read a Bible story. You read about Jesus. We talk about who Jesus is. Is that, is that legendary? Or would, or would you say that, it is, that it's real? And so one of the, the things that we're talking about today, I mentioned this last week, and we're talking about this idea of what it means that Jesus died on the cross. It's kind of this 
third section here in the Apostles' Creed. And that's kind of the idea that we're talking about. Can, can we move this story from legendary to, to, to real? So if you don't know, we've been kind of, this is our third week. We're in a series where we're going through, through sections of the Apostles' Creed, which is this uh, really a, one of the very first statements of faith that the church had. It's been around at least since the 4th century, probably closer to the 2nd century. And it has kind of united Christians for, for hundreds, uh, if almost thousands of years. And um, churches all over the world, tens if not hundreds of millions of people, will recite this in church today. And we don't do new things very often. We keep to a strict routine. But I warned you if you were here last week that we were going to do that this week. So if you missed last week and you're like, I, did, I should have emotionally prepared, that's your bad. If you, if you were here and now you're here, we're going to do this together, all right? So we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together as a church, all right? It'll pop up. Okay. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And really in that moment, as serious as I can be, we've kind of united ourselves with hundreds of millions of Christians all over the world, and, and for generations and hundreds, centuries of Christians have been reciting this together as a, as a sign of unity of what we believe um, as a church and what we're going to look at today, again, is this section that talks about the gospel, that talks about what it means that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and was buried, descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that you're going to find to be, at least in some ways, similar to this creed. In fact, it's believed to be like, like maybe the oldest version of any creed that um, was recited at all by, by Christians. And it's something that the Apostle Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because what he's trying to do here with the Corinthians is convince them to be a little more solid about the gospel. And in order to convince them to be more solid and committed about what the gospel is, he kind of explains and reminds them of what it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance. And so then here comes this creed. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So at first there in this passage, he's kind of describing the theological significance of the, of the gospel. Hey, Jesus Christ died 
for your sins. And this, this is the gospel that, that, that saves you and you need to hold on to it. It is the most important thing. And when we talk about the gospel, that's really almost exclusively what we talk about. It's theological importance. The idea that your sin has separated you from God. It has damaged, broken your relationship with Him. And thus you are going to be separated from Him forever, but that's not what God wanted. So He sent His Son to die for you. And we talked about this last week, that Jesus is the perfect one to do that, because as uh, we talked about Him having a dual nature, that He's fully God and fully human. And that as someone who is fully human, He can be our representative to God. But as someone who is fully God, he has the capacity to die for all of us. And, um, and, and that because of that, if you believe in that, your sins will be forgiven and you can have eternal life with God. And we talk about that. We, we spent a whole series on it in, um, in Easter. We talk about this all the time, how important it is for us to understand what's happening theologically, what Jesus did, and its implications for you personally. And so Paul starts talking about that, but then he starts kind of getting in more of this kind of creed format, kind of explaining some things. You know, he, he died, and then he was buried, he rose on the third day, and then he begins this list. And then he appeared, he appeared, he appeared to Peter, and then to, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to like 500 people. Some of them are dead, but some of them are around. Like, you could talk to them if you wanted to. Then he appeared to James, uh, his, his brother, and then to all the apostles. And then finally, he appeared to me. And what James, I mean, what, what Paul is doing here is he's putting this death of resur- and resurrection of Jesus Christ in more than a theological context. Like some of you are starting to waver about this, about its significance, about its importance, about its reality in your life. I want you to make sure you know, like, like this happened. This happened, it happened recently, and this is what happened. And he appeared to all these people, some of whom you know, some of them you met. If you have questions, you can talk to them. Hey, did you, did you legit see Jesus after he died? I sure did. And they'll tell you the story. He is solidifying their commitment to the gospel by placing it in this very personal and historical context. And that's exactly what I believe in this section in the Apostles' Creed talking about Jesus' death. What it's trying to do as well. So we're going to look at just kind of three different sections, three different phrases in this section about Jesus' death. And the first one is this, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And so, I don't know if you know who Pontius Pilate is. I'm not going to assume that you do. Okay, so Pontius Pilate, uh, so the, the Jewish people were being occupied by Rome. And the people that arrested Jesus were a group of Jewish religious leaders. And essentially, they are arresting him on heresy. He was teaching, he's like, man, you're like talking like your God, and that's weird. You're telling him to kind of forget some of our teaching. It's not, you're leading this rebellion. It's not cool. And they wanted to arrest him. But they didn't really have the power to do much more than like arrest him and maybe beat him. Because again, this was a Roman-occupied territory. And so they sent him then to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of this area. And... The, there's kind of a weird picture that's painted of him in the scriptures. Like he, was, like he was really hesitant to kill Jesus. And sometimes we make it think like, like maybe this guy is like a, um, like a good guy. Like he's, like he's a good guy. But he's actually a villain. He's terrible. He, like, he executed hundreds, if not thousands of Jewish men without any thought of it at all. They, they were subhuman to him. 
But his wife had had this vision about Jesus, and so he's kind of freaking out about it. And he's like, you, you can't do anything bad to him. So he's freaking out. He's trying not to do anything. Well, you do something. So we can't kill him. He's like, well, you want me to kill him? And so then he sends him to this guy, Herod, who is kind of this Jewish king, puppet king, that the, the emperor of Rome had placed there. He really can't do anything either, and they just kind of go back and forth. And finally, Pontius Pilate is like, fine, whatever. We'll torture him, flog him, and kill him. It'll be, and, and he just kind of dismisses it. And it's real interesting. You got in this Apostles' Creed, it talks about God. God Almighty, creator of everything. Jesus Christ, his son. The Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit. All of these epic people. And this evil Roman governor who killed Jesus. Like, you're thinking about who you want to put in. Like, man, we're going to make this creed, and it's going to be like, hopefully last for generations, and will unite us. Who all are you going to mention in there? Huh, Jesus, Mary, Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the dude that killed Jesus. Like, like don't give him, like, he suffered. He suffered under the evil Roman government. They name him. So we're having a pre-meeting about this. Me and my wife, we're talking about it. It's like, like why would they mention, why would they mention Pontius Pilate? And I said, you know, I bet it's for historical reasons, to kind of put it in a historical context. And then she says, maybe you should research that since it's your job. <laughs> and so I said, I'll give 45 seconds to Google, we'll see what happens. In less than 15 seconds on Google, I was right. So no more research, I'm just going with my instincts here from now on. No, it... It, it was important. It was important to, to them to say that this happened in, in an historical context. This happened like, like for real. This was an historical event. This was not, this, 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 this is not, this is not Zeus coming down from the mountain. This is not, this is not Hercules. This is not Medusa. This is not Greek mythology. This, this happened historically. It happened. There's this governor, Pontius Pilate. He's a known historical figure. You can look it up and you can, and you can learn things about him and about who he was and the way that he conducted himself. And that gives you an historical context for when this happened. This happened historically. This is an historical event. This is not a religious event. This is not a legendary story. This is something that happened to real people at a real time in a real place on this earth. And, and that's the point that Paul is making with the Corinthians. Hey, this resurrection, it happened. And he talked specifically to all of these people. If you need their names, I will give them to you. And you can go meet them and you can hear about them. This happened. This is not something that like several hundred years later... A group of people who were following Jesus' teachings, like, you know what would make Jesus, like, super epic? If we say that he came back to life. Let's say that! Let's just make that part of our Christian mythology. No, his peers were saying it. They say they saw him and talked to him and interacted with him. And this is an important point. Because I think sometimes we, we need the gospel to be a little more concrete than a theological concept. This, this happened. And I remember once, again, this is a long time ago. I was in college, so it, you know, over, over 25 years ago. I was, in this, uh, I was doing this debate on the local little college radio station with these other guys, this religious debate. 
And I make this point about placing the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in this very specific historical context and about all his peers and people, like during a time when it was provable. Like you say he's alive, like I I go get his body, it's it's over here. Like it could be they could be proven wrong. While it could have been proven wrong, people were saying this. So I'm making this point in this debate. And then this dude says. Well, you know, there are some people who say that the Buddha came back to life. Like, man, are you even listening to what I'm saying? What you're saying is something very different than what I'm saying. You're talking about religious people hundreds of years later making some sort of reflection about what they think might could be. They're creating some legendary story around someone who became important much later after his death. I'm talking about the people who knew Jesus and the people around telling his enemies, telling the people who could have proven them wrong that this happened. Jesus is no longer dead. And I think that is important for us because this needs to to solidify with us. Again, it needs to move to a deeper level of of realness, of, of, of historical accuracy, that this event happened. All right? So that first section, suffered under Pontius Pilate, is, it's historical. Now the next, the next phrase is this, that he was crucified, died, and was buried. He's crucified, died, and was buried. And I say, I just said it was historical, but I want to say this, and I mean something different by it. I mean, this makes it, this is, this is real. This is real. It happened at a certain time. I mean, Jesus' death, the suffering, I mean, they're kind of going through this thing, it's like, he was crucified. He was placed on a cross. He died on that cross and was buried. He died a very, in some sense, a very normal human death. He died in the way that people die. And so they're, they're kind of over-explaining it. Because there has historically been this idea, and I love the name of it. I love the name of it. But then it's, it's, it's fun to say. I think it's fun to say. There's this, this idea out there that Jesus didn't really die, and it's called the swoon theory. Swoon, you know, swoon, you know, the, you know, the swoon, swoon, right? So he just like, like somehow Jesus only passed out, and so then the idea of this is that Jesus takes hundreds of lashes with 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 sharp objects, impaling him and ripping the skin off of him, and then he is hung on a cross where his holes are put in his hands and his feet, and he's and he's bleeding, and basically you you suffocate slowly up there until your body can no longer support your weight. So it's this long torturous death and then just to make sure he was dead they stabbed him with a sword and then they buried him no telling how much blood he has lost but according to this theory after losing all of this blood and having so much of him just just ripped apart he is placed in a tomb no medical care and then you know on the third day which is approximately you know, 48 hours or so later he, uh, he like, ooh, that kind of that hurt. So no antibiotics, no, no sutures, no blood transfusion. He just walks up, he wakes up and goes, huh, somebody got to move this rock out of the way. So he pushes the giant rock out of the way, takes out the soldiers, and then starts walking around. I don't, know if the, I don't think the swoon theory is true. But if it is, can we just put it in the same category of miracle? I mean, that somehow God infused him with gallons of blood? Healed him supernaturally? It's, it's a ridiculous thing to say. 
Jesus died. And um, I'll remember this, I'll remember this forever. It was about um, it was about 15 years ago that this movie came out called The Passion of the Christ. And um, just again, while we're just learning things, you hear passion and you naturally think like heart love and that the passion of the Christ is Jesus' demonstration of love. And it is, it can be now really a play on words, but passion comes from a Latin word which means suffering. So this is a, it's the passion of the Christ. When you hear that, think suffering rather than heart love. But I think, again, it's an interesting play on words now because it demonstrates both. So this movie came out about 15 years ago. It was kind of depicting from Jesus' arrest all the way through his death. And it kind of has a very, like almost like an end credit scene at the very end where he comes back to life, but then it ends. It's really more about the suffering this the the suffered uh, died and was buried right, and uh, we were taking our small group at our church at the time. We were in St. Louis. We were taking them there. We were going to go watch it at the theater and then come back to our house and discuss it. And a lot of the people in our group, they the, some of them were brand new Christians, some of them weren't Christians at all, and so thought this was going to be a really big thing. And so we go to this movie, and I don't know how many of you've seen it, but it's it's overwhelming. It's not overwhelming in a bad way. It's not like it's something about it is overdone. It's just overwhelmingly realistic about what it would look like for someone to take that many lashes, to have a crown of thorns placed on their head, to be nailed to a cross. And I was completely overwhelmed. And when the movie was over, I just I told Heidi, I was like, I just need to, I need to sit here for a minute. And I remember I just, I just sat for a little while, and I'm just like, that was, that was overwhelming to me. And then thankfully, we lived about 15 minutes from the movie theater, so I had a few minutes because these non-Christians and new Christians, I mean, they were expecting some astute theological and personal reflection on this, and my tank was empty because I was completely emotionally and spiritually overwhelmed by this realistic depiction of what happened to Jesus, by the realness of it. Any other movies that I had seen about Jesus, any pictures that I had seen, any animation, any you know, flannel graph pictures in the Sunday school as a kid, anything that I could put in my mind as I'm trying to create a picture as I'm reading this was completely dwarfed by the realness that this movie showed. And I think in this creed and, and, what, and what Paul's trying to demonstrate here in 1 Corinthians is really just kind of the depth of this, of, the, of, this, of this realness. Like this is, this is real. This, this person, Jesus, the one and only, the one and only Son of God, the, one, the unique one, the one with the dual nature, the one who was God and gave up uh, the privileges of being God and emptied himself and became a human so that so that he could show us how to live. He, he died this death for you in a very real, tragic, horrific way. This happened in an historical context, and, and, it, and it's real. I think it is really important for us to make sure that we allow the truth of what happened just to sink in a little bit deeper than maybe we have. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate, which is makes it historical. He's crucified, died, and was buried. And I think we need to let that be a real thing that happened. We need to 
really process that. So then this next line in the Apostles' Creed is, um, He descended to the dead. And I just want to skip over that, but that would seem like cowardice, because then my wife is like, we going to talk about that or not? Because some of you, if you have familiarity with other versions of the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus went to hell. And she's like, you going to talk about that? And I was like, I'd like to not. And, and, she's, and, and because here's the thing, it, it really is one of these things where you just kind of really get in the weeds because it's a really complicated, weird kind of thing. So I'm going to briefly address it, and then we can just go on, and, and, and you can send me questions, and I'll ignore them. Um, there's two things that Jesus said on the cross that we need to make sure that factor into anything that we believe about whether or not Jesus went to hell. The first one is, as he looked at the thief on the cross who put his faith, there's a thief next to him on another cross, put his faith in him. And Jesus said to him, today we are going to be together in paradise. So later that day, the two of them were going to be together. So if he made an appearance, it was a brief one. The second thing is this. Right after, Jesus feels this overwhelming amount of emotional suffering, where for the first time, really, he separates kind of a, feels like an emotional, spiritual separation from God the Father, and he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? There's anguish in this moment that he has. And then he says, right before he dies, it is finished, and then he dies. Whatever it is, whatever it is he was trying to do, whatever his mission was, his goal, the purpose of this death, it, it was finished. The work was done. So there was no reason for him to go to hell like as more punishment. The punishment, that thing, it had ended. It was, it was finished. And so if he went to hell, it was only briefly, and it wasn't for any like theological purpose. There are some confusing passages, like in Peter, that talk about him going down there, maybe preaching a sermon. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, and maybe it was to this group, maybe it was to that group, and what was the purpose of that sermon? That's the thing we're not talking about today. And you feel free to send me all the questions, and, all right, and I'll respond back, hmm, yeah, that's interesting, and then we'll just be done. So anyway, you can look at that some more. I just want to make sure we, I don't want you to feel like I'm a coward. All right, but here's the thing we're looking at, right? On the third day, he rose again. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's historical. He crucified, died, was buried. It's real. Third day, he rose again. It makes it, makes it powerful. Jesus' death was, was powerful. Now, if I say, there's this guy, Jesus, and he was crucified in first century uh, Jerusalem by the Romans, you'd be like, that happened to hundreds of people. Pontius Pilate did that to a lot of people. That doesn't make Jesus unique at all. It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus, he was special because he was wrongly convicted. Again, probably true of hundreds of them. Pilate didn't care. None of them cared. It was a Jewish person and the jewish person's not even not even not even a person they're not like they're roman citizens yeah just execute them it doesn't really matter no 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 no. jesus is different though he was wrongly convicted and he 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 was a martyr for for a cause where he was leading people to god again a story that repeated itself a lot in that time there were all sorts of revolutionaries who were going to be the one that were going to lead the people back to God and were going to overcome the Romans. And they were political religious zealots. And then the Romans were putting this down all the time. You didn't have to be, have a large following. It's no big deal at all, man. If you're like, you, you, oh, you, you think you're doing a rebellion, I think we'll kill you and all your friends. And they didn't even care. So Jesus is not unique in that. What makes Jesus' death unique in addition to all of that, is what he said is that his death had significant theological consequence. 
that he was dying for sins. That his death was a substitute for your death. He was going to die so that you could have forgiveness and a relationship with God forever. Now, if I were going to try to prove to you that amongst the hundreds of people that were executed during this time by the Romans, that this one death had overwhelming, deep theological significance, I don't even know how I would begin to prove that to you. He's just one amongst many. God knew how to do it. I am going to raise him from the dead so that now you'll all know who this really was and how important and powerful his death was. He came back to life. This is my son. And in that moment, like everything he said must be true. He must have a connection with God that we have never heard of before. Everything about him is unique and special. And there is power in his death and resurrection. He, he, he's convinced me of several things. Of who he is. Of, of what he did. And he's convinced me that death is no longer can be considered the end of a story. It is not the end of his story. It is not the end of your story. Because I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we'll talk some more about that in a couple of weeks. There is power in what Jesus Christ did for you. You can have forgiveness and life with God. You can live life now in connection and relationship with Him. And you can have life everlasting. Because this Jesus did not just die some martyr's death in first century Rome, in Jerusalem. He did that. It was an historical event. It happened in a particular place, in a particular time, with a particular governor. And it was real. A real man with real love and real concern and care and passion for you. He died in a horrific way in order to give you life. And that life, that death, that resurrection has power for you. And if you have never placed your faith in that once... Our prayer and concern would be that you would do that today. That you would put your hope and your trust in this incredible, real, historical, powerful event where Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And that you can have forgiveness now, life now, and everlasting life to come. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, in this, in this death on the cross... Our, our prayer is that it would just sink in a little deeper with you today. So that's what we ask during our time of reflection. We have uh, time to worship, of course. There's a cross where you can pray. It's a great day to take our communion that's in the back. You just take the, the, the piece of bread and dip it in the, in the cup and you take it. You don't have to be a member, just a follower of Christ. And just reflect on the, the symbolism there that this is the body that's broken, that was broken for us. This is the, the blood that was spilled for us. And we reflect on, the again, the historical, real, and powerful nature of this thing that Jesus Christ did. We have an opportunity to give lots of ways to respond. But let's let the reality of what Jesus Christ did sink in a lot deeper today. Let's pray. God, thank you. I just thank you for just 
cool moment of just being able to recite that creed and just unite ourselves with generations of Christians all over the world for 2,000 years. And God, I pray that the reality of what we believe, God, would sink in deep, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And God, especially this, that your son Jesus Christ, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, ascended to the dead, and on the third day, he came back to life. God, I pray that that would be real to us. It would not be legendary. It would not be mythical. It would not just be a spiritual story with a, with, with a powerful uh, point to tell. But God, that it would be real. And it would become more and more real each day, week, and year that we are here. And God, we thank you for the life everlasting. The power that comes from your son's death and resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.